just waking up from a nap? No, I just got done looking at the ski report and just want to let everybody know since we've, we've had a couple episodes about skiing and we'll be leaving that topic today. Gore got 15 inches of snow yesterday Ooh. up in the Adirondacks. 15 inches of wet snow for those of you Ooh. who are skiers. Yeah, yeah, I like Jack. Uh, that is a great base for the season right there. That means it's a lot of moisture, it's a lot of snow, and that means everything is coated. So yummy, yummy snow in the Adirondacks. Very nice. Um, so real quick, I just got nice. back. Oh, and Jack, I love it. I love that you sound like you're a skier, Jack. I can't wait to introduce you here. So real quick, I have to roll my producer's wife under the bus. She, I just went into the, her bathroom real quick, washed my hands, and I find an age-defying cream. Now, Stina is beautiful and young, and I think it's age of 21 forever. But it's uh, the name of it is Hemp's, H-E-M-P-Z, with a nice marijuana leaf. So she definitely recognizes the benefits of the marijuana plant, which we call the cannabis plant. Uh, so thank you, Stina. And a little shout out to Hemp's, because apparently if Stina believes it works, Stina knows she's that Italian princess that oh. knows her body well. And Hemp's, if she's putting H-E-M-P-Z on her face, maybe we should all consider it, ladies. So Hemp's got a free shout out by the podcast today. Yeah. All right. So today, episode 13, we have someone I'm very excited to introduce. I met him several months ago at the Harvest here in town at the, for the VCCF, the Veterans Cannabis Collective Foundation. Uh, we have a the Collective Foundation. I won't say we. I'm a volunteer for the organization, um, but but I do tend to say we uh, because I'm a firm believer of what they're doing, and they have a, a license to process and grow industrial hemp here in New York State currently. And uh, Jack Chanella. Uh, who is the executive producer of High Road TV, heard about us. I'm not sure how. We'll, we'll get to that, how he did and why he made his long journey up to Rochester, New York. Uh, he did a nice little documentary on the day for us uh, and posted on High Road TV, and it was great. I posted on my Facebook and my social medias, and I could not have been any happier of what he did for us. So I wanted to do the same for him, bring him on here, so everybody can hear about uh, that he is also the co-founder of Hemp for Heroes, which is a phenomenal organization that we're going to dig into. Um, and Jack served as an army scout from 1990 to 1995. He served on the German border and the Gulf with the 11th Cavalry. He works with the veterans groups to help transition vets off opioids and pharmaceuticals to plant-based medicines. Jack Chanella, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast today, sir. Nice. Great to be with you guys. Fantastic. You guys are uh, fighting the good fight, getting good information out there. Oh, we are trying, sir. So, so I, there's so much about you. So Jack is one of those people, folks, that uh, most people would hear about what he does every day. And they're like, how do you get it all done? How, how can you fit everything in? Just like they ask me a lot of times and a lot of my friends. <clears throat> but we just know when we're passionate about things, it doesn't feel like work. It feels like pleasure. And I'm sure that's how a lot of this is for you, right, Jack? Yeah, no doubt about it. If you're if you're excited about doing stuff, if you're if you're interested in the subject matter, if you want to learn about it, then it doesn't feel like work. It feels like uh, feels like play. Even if you're busy, and uh, I'm an active person anyway, I can't really sit still. You know, I'm uh, always on the go, so uh, I try and fill my life with as many things that I'm passionate about as possible. And uh, cannabis is a big part of that. Yeah, and you just got back from a 13-hour drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? I'm just I just got back from. Uh, the U.S. the Southern U.S. Hemp Conference and Expo in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and um, South Carolina grew their first hemp crop this year, and um, I believe they grew. They had forty farmers that grew 
maybe uh, somewhere around 250 acres and they're looking to double that next year and then they'll open it up completely the year after so it'll be wide open and it was uh it really interesting to see this community growing you know if you go we went to a hemp conference a couple years ago there'd be a handful of people there mostly curiosity now it's uh the industry is really ready to hit the ground running and you can see it what is the status of the laws in south carolina currently was it allowed for just um, there? Yeah, there's no medical marijuana. There's no uh, recreational. That's not even. I, don't, I think medical might be in the works a little bit, but it's still the heart of the Bible Belt down there. And uh, they're, they actually had to move the conference from Myrtle Beach, the city itself, because they banned CBD. So they're fighting that fight still. Wow. So, uh, my you dad, know, my dad it's lives a little bit of an uphill, uphill battle in some places. Um, so we were in between Myrtle Beach and North Myrtle Beach, which is somehow a different town. I think it's like Arcadia Beach, and they let us in. And uh, it was it was a great conference. It was really one of the better ones I've been to. So how did the conference go? Was it uh, a bunch of people talking like hours at a time? Was it, was it actually breakout sessions? How was this conference laid out? Well, they had keynote speakers, um, people like uh, Doug Fine, um, Edgar Winters, uh, who was uh, one of the first and longest growing hemp uh, growers in the country. He actually grew with his grandfather in the 30s and 40s before they outlawed it. Um, He's an old timer, so uh, he's got knowledge that a lot of people don't have. Um, And then they'd have breakout sessions throughout the day, depending on what you want to learn about CBD or marketing or, um, you know, soil and, you know, a variety. It's actually kind of crazy because there's so much information you have to choose between. And it's tough, you know, because you want to be able to get it all in, but you just can't. It's, it's, It's impossible to take it all in. So it's like there's always more to learn in this this industry and and uh, no matter how much you're trying to soak it up it's there's just more and more and more to learn you know yeah no i feel like and i'm such a virgin to all of this so for me to have someone who has the knowledge base you have already and you're continuing to learn i'm really excited to have this come come through everybody else so you went down there specifically for uh high road tv is that why you made the journey down to south carolina yeah, I went down to cover the event. They had an event in Albany, New York, the Eastern U.S. Hemp Conference, and I did a video for the covering the conference, and they really liked it, so they invited me down. And um, and I'm I'm really interested in hemp. I think uh, hemp has so much potential, and nobody talks about it. And cannabis gets, uh, you know, medical marijuana and stuff like that gets all the headlines, but but hemp has the potential to be a big thing and uh long term money for farmers and families and and regular people you know um outside of the cannabis industry it just has so many applications 25,000 applications that we know of now and that's without us even really doing research so i i i'm a big believer in hemp so so continue along along that train of thought for people cuz I definitely want this episode to be talking a lot about the cannabis plant. So go more along the lines of all these different applications. So so the farmers, what were they talking about and what do they seem to be most excited about as far as um, applications that they can get into immediately to make profits off of? Immediately, all the headlines go to CBD. I mean, uh, CBD is... You know, where the main money is, there's not a lot of infrastructure right now. Um, Like we pulled the seed crop in Rochester and um, a lot of places they would have industry where you could take it there and they would remove the seeds and remove the plant 
cereal and separate it. And, but we had to do it ourselves by hand because there is no industry or um, factories to do that for you. So CBD, you can grow strictly for the CBD, get it converted to oil pretty easily and um, get right into the money. Whereas it's a little more difficult to, to get into the, the other forms of hemp with the fiber and the seed right now. Um, although that has great potential long term right now, we just don't have the logistics to support it. And so if I just look generally out at hemp stores, that kind of stuff now, I get, I see more people with clothing, um, rope, like jewelry made of hemp. Is there anything bigger industry than those things I mentioned that I see, which is definitely on smaller scale? Um, well, like I said, CBD is by far the big one right now. It's just exploding. Um, I read Forbes magazine guest says that it's going to, the CBD market in the United States is going to grow by 700% over the next two years. And it's already growing at a astronomical pace. So that's, that's the big one right now. I think the next step will be when people get more research on the other cannabinoids like CBG and CBN, um, that have even more healing potential than CBD, but there's just a little bit more research on CBD right now. So those things, I think, eventually would be just as big as CBD, if not bigger. Um, and then the other thing is food. Um, the, the eating hemp seeds is incredibly healthy for you, and uh, you absorb a lot better with, with the hemp seed um, than a lot of other forms of nutrition. So lots of times things will have minerals and vitamins in them, but you're not absorbing them very well. So you, you kind of pee it all out. Um, with hemp, it really, you get the nutrition in your body. Your body likes the way that it's delivered, so it absorbs it a lot better. So it's a, it's a healthy vehicle to, to get that nutrition. That's right. And I know there's at least one restaurant on Long Island already that is hemp-based pretty much all of their menu. I just heard about it recently. I'm trying to find out uh, who the owner is because I'd love to have them on. But among the numerous uses of hemp, one of its most popular applications is a food source. It says right, right, three or four different references, the first thing I pulled up. In grocery stores, you can now find hemp food products such as hemp seeds, hemp seed oil, hemp milk, hemp tea, even hemp-infused drinks. These hemp or cannabis products bring together nutritional medical benefits along with hemp's unique nutty taste to a variety of different consumer products. I'm excited because I love to see the hemp seed oil is being uh, accepted, more widely accepted around the U.S. What are you seeing that as well, Jack, through your travels? Yeah, I mean, you're definitely seeing it. Um, when I first got involved in the cannabis industry, you know, there would be questions a lot about, mostly about marijuana, about cannabis, about, uh, you know, the, the, the normal form that we all grew up with. But now I get tons and tons of questions about hemp and hemp-based medicines and how it can help hemp help me um you know not to get back to cbd over no, and over did, but yeah. no we want to go there people are people are just so curious about it because they're seeing i think a lot of people like the fact that they can get that medicine without the high so you know some some people just don't respond well to, to cannabis you know they're, they, they they feel weird it's like a little bit too much for them whatever but with CBD or, or hemp, you don't have to worry about that. You know, I personally look at it like an added bonus. Like, I, oh, I feel fantastic too. Great. This is awesome. But not everybody feels that way. You know, it's kind of a, it's not a one size fits all plant. So that's right. How about this um, one size fits all? I love that you just mentioned that. How about this? I got an interesting fact, fact for you. Ready for this, Jack? Planes can be made of hemp. 
Earlier this year, sure. Derek Kessick, the founder of Hemp Earth, announced that he would provide the very first airplane mace made almost entirely of hemp that will run on hemp-based biodiesel. Though the project has yet to take flight, nice. many have high hopes about what a successful execution could mean for the future. How about that? I love that. That would be perfect. Plan words from you, sir. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. They built a car in the 30s or 40s out of hemp, and then uh, the government kind of kiboshed it because uh, it's steel industry and all that. You know, Lots of times the, the cannabis hasn't advanced because other people are fighting against it to protect their own interests, not necessarily the interests of the people. You know what I mean? And that's, that's, that's held this plant back for years. You know, We are now its voice, Jack. We are going to be its messenger. Uh, yes, Ford's hemp-powered car made... <laughs> yes, there is a black and white on YouTube. You, and you look it all up. Look it up. Uh, Henry Ford's plastic hemp car from 1941. Holy smokes. Yeah, there's three amazing, different right? snippets of it. Yeah, I love it. Can you... And it, yeah, it's amazing. Most people don't know this. So I want to get some of your background, Jack, so everybody can understand you a little bit better. Where, where do you live? Where do you hail from? Where do you, where do you call home? Um, I live about an hour outside of New York City, directly in between New York City and Albany, um, close to the Catskill Mountain region. So I'm uh, fly fishing in Catskill streams half the time and then in the middle of Manhattan the other half of the time. That's a nice little mix down there. Now, are you a skier or snowboarder? Yeah, balance. Ba balance. Balance is the key. I'm, uh, I used to ski and snowboard much more than I do now. I'm, uh, I spent five years in the Army as an Army scout, and my, my legs just aren't what they once were. So, uh, so I'm less, less than, I, than I used to. Normally now, it's like once every year, once every couple of years. Now is that where you're born? And I might and raised spend a little well? more time in the hot in the hot tub than Ooh, yes. yes, yeah. Well, I was actually born in Kentucky, but um, but I moved back to New York at about age two, and uh, spent the rest of my life there. Besides the time I was in the military, so hot tub is mandatory at your house? Is that correct? Say again. Is the hot tub mandatory at your house? <laughs> no, but not at the. But it is mandatory at the ski, at the at the at the ski lodge. Oh, always. Oh, that's no doubt. You have to after a day on the mountain. So, um, what's the closest mountain to where you live? I'm just curious because I don't ski a lot down that area. So I'm just uh, curious. The most pop, the most popular is Hunter Mountain, probably in Hunter and Wyndham. Yep. Both of those two. I want to get to you. So now I know I can come down and visit you. I'm down there. So you're an outdoorsman, I take it. So you're a fisherman or you're a hunter as well. Um, I used to hunt, but I, I'm not as much anymore. Um, now I, I spend most of my time fishing. Uh, you know, it's, you, you only have so much time. And, and uh, to be effective at any of it, you have to put the time in. And I just don't have the time. So to pop into the woods once or twice a year without doing the, the proper uh, research and setting all everything up the way that it needs to be, I just don't, I don't feel right about it. So, no, so I haven't been hunting as much lately. But you do hunt in one way because you hunt with your camera, right? Video camera is pretty much on you at all times. Is that right? <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, hunting for a story here and there. And, uh, you know, I pursue things that I think are undercovered and things that I find interesting. And, uh, and there's been a misinformation around cannabis. And I feel like uh, it, it needs to be presented in a factual way. And then we can we can fight the misinformation with information. So that's kind of what's what drew me to 
the cannabis industry because you, you, you so many lies surrounding this plant for the last 70 80 years um and we have the facts on our side so it's just a matter of presenting it in a way that people can understand people can say oh this isn't a bad thing this isn't scary this is this is something that that that's okay you know i don't have to hide my kids from it i don't have to be afraid of it and um that's what we're trying to do Amen. That has been my message here for 12 weeks that I'm slowly trying to put out there uh, two hours a week is let's take the stereotypes away and let's teach people the truth about this plant so they can decide for themselves to use it or not. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, it's a, you know, there's a lot of stigma that's around the plant and uh, you, you got to break it down. Realize that regular people Mothers, fathers, daughters, grandparents um, can consume cannabis, and that, that that that's okay. That doesn't make them bad people. That doesn't make them criminals. And you know, it could make you a criminal in some state, but it shouldn't. Um, and uh, it doesn't make you a bad person because you consume cannabis. You know, and that's the message we need to get out there. And I'm a good person, and uh, and I consume cannabis. You said that uh, you hunt for stories have you been published anywhere have you written stuff that is out there um no 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 i've i've worked in national television for 20 over plus years so the stuff is is you know out there with that and uh then as far as privately i do some side work and for you know, corporate video stuff like that and uh the high road tv is uh the the venture as far as doing my own private stuff and putting it out there yeah so national media let's let, give your background a little bit you said you were in the military from 1995 so you must have popped out right from there um to do what you're doing now well i, I you know it was a little bit of a transition getting out of the service um uh, military life is a lot different than civilian life so you know you, you a lot of people talk about how hard it is with ptsd and and people who are, are dealing with pain and coming back from combat issues but just the regular transition from the services is awkward you know trying to find your way in society again after operating in the military can be clumsy so i kind of i bounced around a little bit and did a bunch of different jobs and uh i had a friend who offered me a job at abc sports watching college football games and college basketball games and i just write down the plays and tell everybody what what were good plays and what weren't and um i worked my way I, I loved it and i worked my way up from there so you work for cbs nbc i mean one of the big affiliations yeah 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 cbs excellent so you must be working production rooms i mean are you out on the street mostly i'm just curious i was in the media i was a journalist for 15 yeah. years so i'm always curious about this i'm in a back room and uh editing suite and they bring me the stories and i build them together so um i don't really decide content or uh which stories will be told i kind of i get a script and i build them together and uh if in the rundown it says the story needs to be a minute 30 but then once we build it it's two minutes then i'll decide what can stay and what goes to still keep the the story intact with with, with still telling it shorter so i build it all together and do all the editing that seems like a, a very rewarding job it, some days it is and some days it's not you know it's uh if you watch the news at all then you can tell that it, sometimes it gets pretty old watching that stuff and and some days you feel like you're doing a valuable 
uh, mission to uh, to inform society. You know, so it's uh, like any other job. But uh, I I love it. It's uh, I got into news after 9/11, the year after 9/11. I felt like you know maybe my talents were being wasted in sports, and maybe I should try and do something that had more impact. So that that's what moved me to news. So now you so you produce for the news now. So my question is, you are have a very important gatekeeping role, and I have a feeling you understand that. Do you take that seriously day by day, or is that something in the grind that it can be lost? Um, I don't know. I think I just think about what's in front of me and and try and take one step at a time. I, you know, sometimes you can get lost in the the bigness of everything, and then you know you really are what you do, and from moment to moment. And then I, I try and keep it in the one step at a time scenario, and don't really. Uh, I'm, I do some big picture stuff, but the way things get accomplished is by putting one step in front of the other and and keeping it going, you know what I mean? Getting some momentum and, and, uh, and always growing, you know? So I try and keep my mindset like that and to try and improve myself and try and gain knowledge and, and become a better person. You know, that's really the mission. And you're fortunate because working in the news industry, you're, you're getting feedback, you're getting research from reporters from all these different uh, venues in life, all these different, uh, you're from society, from money, from, I mean, is there a certain, type of stories that you usually edit or do you get a vast array of everything? I get everything. Um, during election time, I did uh, Trump and Hillary for like 60 something days in a row. So basically I, when you turn on the news and they have their introduction and they, the reporter tell they go to the first story. I pretty much cut that first story every day. Um, during, like I said, during election time, that would be, you know, a lot of politics stuff. Now sure. it could be a fire or a murder or any, anything going on. Uh, journalists being killed. Do you name it? Do you think that's Whatever the major research? stories are, and then, then um, it helps me understand how to research for sure. Definitely. You know, um, nowadays there's we're talking about misinformation on cannabis. We're when the internet first took off, we we're really in the information era where you, now you have all this information at your fingertips and you can learn anything. You can go on YouTube and you can figure out how to fix your car or how to grow cannabis. You can do all the information is out there, but now we kind of transition transitioned into a misinformation era where there's so much false information that it's hard to sort through all of that to get to what's real and what's not. So I, I think I have a pretty good understanding of how to do that now working in the industry. Did you go to school for journalism or communications? Yeah. Communications. Where'd you get your degree from? Um, well, I actually didn't finish. I went to Dutchess Community College and then I went to New Paltz and I got offered a full-time position at the National Basketball Association um, in 99 or 98. They were launching uh, NBA TV. I don't know if you watched the NBA at all. And um, the, I, I got the job and I told the guy, you know, I was, I'm was i still in college. I was post-military, so I was 27 at the time. And uh, the guy looked me in the eye and said, this is the job that you're going to college to get. And I was like, you know what, you're right. So I took the job and uh, haven't looked back since. 
NBA TV. You asked me work, if I watch work. NBA, dude. NBA TV. How about this? I have the league pass. I watch every second of every Philadelphia 76ers game of the season. And that's not oh, a lie. Wow. That's my vice. Okay. I tell people basketball is my vice. Um, so, yeah, I want. All right. Before we get off the subject, we'll get on plenty of other tangents here. Tell me a little bit about your time with NBA, please. Just for me as a fandom, just so I can hear some cool stories. <laughs> Um, so I started the first year of NBA TV, first show they ever did. Um, and for six years after that, um, through all the Kobe Shaq years and uh, a couple Duncan Spurs championships. And um, it was an exciting time, you know, would be on, down on the court for the All-Star game. And uh, it was exciting. It was it was very hard to leave there because it was really my dream job. My father was a basketball coach and I was uh, very passionate about basketball my whole life. And uh, being there at the NBA was just a, a dream come true. But like I said, I felt like I needed to continue to grow, continue to do more. And that's what led me to CBS. Um, and sometimes I regret the choice and other times I, you know, know that I'm on the right path. You definitely are. But it, is, it was it was tough. It was tough to leave. You know, um, the one thing NBA TV got sold to Turner Broadcasting and they moved it down to Georgia. So I would have had to move to Atlanta, which which made the choice a little bit easier. So you did uh, probably put together a lot of those highlight packages back with those, some of those phenomenal athletes then. Sure. Yeah, I used to work on uh, at NBA Action. If you ever watched that show mm -hmm. on Fox, um, NBA Inside Stuff. Um, so yeah, did a lot of feature stories on. At the time, would have been Shaq and Kobe and Reggie Miller and uh, all the guys from the early two thousands. You know, Brian is dancing in his seat over here. I'm such a big fan of the NBA. <laughs> all right, who's the coolest NBA player you ever met? Like that, will, he, he will stick in your mind forever. Um, the personality wise, yeah, or just the guy that uh, sticks in your mind, like, you know, wow, like, this no, no, is, no, no, like the guy uh, that just sticks in your mind is like a good dude, like you know, someone you, you know. Oh man, that's tough. As a good dude, yeah, like, none of them are good. Like <laughs> personality wise, that like I, I, like I grew up with John Wallace here in Rochester, and he's it's I like really John tough Wallace. to narrow narrow yeah. him down to one guy. Of course, just being it's a good many. Dude. I want to know um, like the guy that you'll think about like later in life. You'd be like, I'm glad I met him, or I'm glad I had a personal experience with him, kind of thing. Um, Bill Russell was was amazingly cool, dude. Um. I was outside of the NBA entertainment offices in Secaucus, New Jersey. Um, I used to smoke cigarettes. I'm standing out there smoking a cigarette and who rolls out there to ask, bum a light off me, but Bill Russell. And uh, we uh, end up hanging out there talking for a half hour, just about life and uh, nothing to do with basketball. And it was just like, wow, this guy is the most humble, genuine, interesting person. Um you know, it's I'm, I'm incredibly humbled by all these guys because I put them up on a pedestal for most of my life. So to be standing next to them ever was just uh, a great experience. But a lot of the old time guys are, are real cool. Um, at the NBA All-Star Game 2002, I believe it was, 2003, I got to meet Michael Jordan. And uh, that was incredible. Um, he, like, standing 20 feet away from him, it's like he's a Jedi and everybody else is just a regular person. Like, he's got the glow from, like, Bruce Leroy or something. You know, he's like, you can just feel his energy from a distance. So it's... Uh, it, it, it was a great experience, no doubt. My daughter's named after him. 
Wow. Her name is Jordan. That's awesome. I have it's a daughter. Not, I, I spelled I, the same I, way, but. I have a daughter named Jordan as well. Oh, see, oh, more connections than we even know. How many kids do you have, Jack? Three, 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 two daughters and uh, and a son. My baby is 16 years old, so I'm almost, I can see a little freedom light at the end of the tunnel, you know? Yeah, a few more high school so. sports seasons left, and then you're pretty much on your own, right? <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. My uh, my son is a, a junior, but he's uh, he's working on an accelerated schedule so that he can graduate a year early right now. So, wow. so this will be it for me. Yeah, yeah, pretty exciting. Which it's it's amazing to me to watch my kids progress and do so well because when I was in school, I was looking out the window. I couldn't sit still. I wanted to be on the playground. I wanted to be chasing girls. I want like school just didn't fit for me. But but uh, my kids have done well in school, so. You know, I'm lucky they look like me because I, I would be wondering if they were mine. But, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, our kids grew up well, uh, be, in spite of us, not because of us, right? Like they're way better than us. <laughs> they are better than us. I didn't, I don't know if it's in spite of us or not, but, uh, but they, they are there. Give me a little bit of hope for the future, for sure. No in doubt. A world full of craziness. And you and I educating our kids and being open and honest communication. Because I have a feeling you are the same with your kids. Explain to me a little bit how you've talked to cannabis with your kids growing up. Um, when they were younger, we didn't really discuss it. Um, as small children, they they, you know, we didn't have to have the conversation. Um, as they get older, kids realize, you know, they. The cannabis has a strong aroma and uh, the cannabis I smoke has an extra strong aroma. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, at a certain point you have to have the conversation and, um, you know, it's not hard to have because I'm not, I'm, you've, you've met me and talked to me. I'm a straightforward guy. And if I, if I smoke a joint, I'm the same person right after it as, as I was before it. So it's not like you're like, I turn into Cheech and Chong or something. And then I have to explain my behavior. I'm the exact same person, regardless of cannabis or not, you know? Um, so, and then we, our family kind of transitioned to having the conversation, um, my son deals with fibromyalgia, so he's always had pain, like joint pain, back pain, um, just gets out of bed and is always achy and pain. And um, we struggled to try and work with it, but it was uh, it was manageable, but it was an issue. Then he got Lyme's disease and it became unmanageable. Oh, wow. So we took him to a million different doctors trying to figure out how we could help him. And um, as a shot in the dark, we tried CBD, like one, well, maybe it'll help. And uh, it, it did. It made a big difference. And that's really how the conversation started with him. Um, my older daughter probably didn't really talk too much about cannabis until high school. Um, you kind of, you know, each kid is different dealing as a parent. There's not like a universal parenting um, manual where you like, if this happens, do this. Like each kid is different and you, you deal with them in an individual way. But I'm, I'm an open and honest person. I, I really, I, I have a hard time lying at all about anything. So uh, if somebody asks me a question, I'm going to tell them straight up what I believe to be the truth. You know, I love your philosophy. Um, and I'm I, not very ashamed. Much... I don't do anything that I'm ashamed of. So, so why would I lie about it? Yeah. If you have to lie about something, you shouldn't be doing it. 
That's kind of the way. So I agree. You know that that. So if you're ashamed of doing it or or you you're not proud of it, then yeah, don't do it in the first place. And I always felt like I was comfortable with cannabis, so I told my kids. But you're right. I love that you you made a very valid point that I want to make sure people listen to. Each child is different. How you bring them into this road of learning about cannabis as we all learn it together ourselves, because obviously him, Jack, and I are both learning, growing with this through the years. And, and when did you get introduced into hemp as far as um, before the military, after the military? How did you get so ingrained now with the high road TV and everything else? I want to kind of get with that with you a little bit, Jack. Um, well, I was always interested in the industry. Um, cannabis has been a part of my life since I was younger. And um, I, I've always felt like there was so much misinformation. And then it's like, how could I fit in? You start seeing these states legalize and you see the emerging industry and you try and say, well, is it possible that I could fit into that? Um, and then High Road TV seemed like a natural transition for me because I had the skills in video production and television. Um, and there seemed to be a need there because there's just not a lot of video production. Um, so that felt like my natural end to it. At the very least, learn about the industry, which is, you know, <laughs> it's funny in New York. To be an expert in cannabis, you know, some guy in your town might know more than everybody else. But when you go out to California, we don't, you know, that they have it to a whole nother level out there. You know, they've been doing it for years and years and years and years. And, uh, you know, you get up to Humboldt County and uh, people have master's degrees in in cannabis, you know, before there were (laughs) before there was classes on it. They could have taught the classes. So it's been a little bit of a humbling experience, especially at the beginning when like I couldn't even say the words like cannabinoid or flavonoid and all these different parts of the plant like i thought i knew a lot about cannabis but but there was a lot to learn you know and now that i've been you know chasing it down on the cannabis trail for the last three or four years it 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 never ends you the more you know the more you realize there's more and more to learn I mean, information keeps evolving and pouring in and there's new research and it never ends so it's, it's great I like it. Now, High Road TV, it can be found where? Can you give tell everybody a little bit where they could find High Road TV and what year did it start? Um, this is our second season. Um, we shot three years ago and, and pitched a pilot and we had some interest, but I would have had to give away a large portion of the concept to production houses. So I didn't really want to do that. I wanted to have the control of the idea and be able to do the stories I wanted to do. Um, so after that year, we, uh, we launched online with uh, Facebook and YouTube. And um, this is towards the end of our second season now. So it's been a good response. It's been a little challenging on YouTube and Facebook because they really suppress cannabis material. And once you get to a certain point, lots of times they'll kill your page or, you know, Instagram kill has been killing pages left and right. So it's, it's, it's tough even in the legal market or it's like somebody like me who's not selling cannabis or I don't have a cannabis store. I don't grow cannabis. They still suppress that information just if you hashtag cannabis. So it's a little bit challenging, but information gets out there and uh, people view the videos and like them and uh, 
so far, it's been a good experience for me. I love it. So High Road TV can be found on YouTube. They could just type in High Road TV to get to yeah. you, right? Is that correct? Make sure you subscribe to them. Make you sure you like. It. Let's yeah. do all the tip. I have a YouTube channel as well. So all the typical stuff, make sure you subscribe to him. Build up his his base to make sure more people can see his message. Tell people about it. Uh, the the feature you did on us, uh, explain basically how, how you learned about coming to Rochester, um, how that all came about. Well, as a veteran, I'm always pursuing veteran causes and trying to bring awareness to um, to plants over pills approach to medicine. Um, I, I served in the Gulf in the first Gulf War in 1990 and 91. Um, and two of my best friends in the service after the service committed suicide. So it was a... Uh, you know, a heartbreaker wow. for me because when I, when I knew these guys, they were vibrant, strong, you know, hard charging army scouts and they could have taken on the world by themselves. But, you know, obviously at a certain point they got to the point where they just couldn't take it anymore. And, 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 uh, and to think of guys like that being in that place made me feel like I, I had to do something, you know? So I've, I've really, um, done all I can to try and support veteran causes and get more awareness out there about things that guys are dealing with. Cause these guys have given everything to our country. And, uh, uh, you know, as army scout, we're on the front line of freedom, you know, we're standing out there saying, this is important to us to be out there. And I think the country needs to, to support the people who've done that for, for the country, you know, um, marching in dc and doing all kinds of stuff like that to try and create awareness and uh i think every little bit helps and that's how i have found the veterans cannabis collective you know right here in new york is a lot shorter drive than a lot of the other places i go to so it was an easy easy uh, match for me yeah easy so describe what you did that weekend because when you describe easy most okay let me put this out there they we got a man here jack chanella who works 40 what 45 hours a week 40 hours a week for cbs correct about yeah, right? sure. Yeah. yeah, and then now you came up to Rochester for uh, a hemp harvest. So that's about a what? How long drive? Five hour drive, maybe for you? Yeah, about that. Yeah. Yeah. So you drove up. So, so about, about five hours. Yeah. So you drove up five hours, and then you helped us out. So describe the weekend, how it went for you, and then the editing, because you had to edit in like a day. Yeah, it was great. Um, you know, spend just spending time with you guys and uh, trying to understand what the story would be. And um, I think that's the most important part is trying to get the message across of what people are trying to do there, you know, and um, and how much of a healing experience it was for the people who were involved, you know, because a lot of people think of the, the cannabis as the medicine part, the THC and the CBD and the chemicals that are coming into your body. But you can have a healing experience just by growing plants, by farming. You put the seed in the ground and you watch it grow and that gives you hope, you know, and um so I, you know, talking to Mark and talking to everybody and just, it really felt like they were growing as much as the plants were growing. And that was the message that I wanted to try and get out, you know, telling that story. And you did it perfectly. And we appreciate all the effort you made to drive up from, from home five hours, you hung out with us all day, helped the service. Then you drove home and edited it and had it up within a day. Like that's a lot of work. I do a lot of video editing. I know how much work that is and, and it's much appreciated and, and way beyond what you're expected. Yeah. I actually did yours guys kind of quick. Cause I just wanted to get it up, you know, to, for you guys. And, um, and I'm glad you liked it. You know, it feels good when, when people see the work and enjoy it and feel like you represented them the way that they 
deserve to be represented. And I, I look for stories that aren't going to be reported, you know what I mean? Or that would fall in the cracks and um, that, but that deserved to be out there because I think it's a great example. You're out there in Rochester and, you know, farmers came by and visited and they're curious and, and, um, you know, a lot of guys are growing hay and corn and all kinds of fields that aren't high yield or high profit. And they're looking for answers so that they can support their family. And, um, and it normalizes this plant, you know, and people see it and they go, oh, this isn't such a bad thing. This isn't a scary thing, you know, and, and maybe I can do this. Maybe we can do some positive things together because, you know, there's a lot of positive benefits. I was talking to a farmer in South Carolina that said that if you plant a hemp crop within your rotation and then you rotate your crop back into where the hemp used to be, you get a 30% better yield because the hemp makes the soil that much better. So it's like we're learning all the time about how many benefits there are to this plant. And uh, and this is just through trial and error. This isn't even, you know, science and, and the labs getting involved and really them digging in. Once once that happens, I think we're going to get so much information of how beneficial this plant can be. So one of the things that I learned from the VCCF and Mark, he referenced Mark early, uh, a few seconds ago. This is Mark DePasquale, who's the chairman of the VCCF. And what I learned from him as well is if you were to plant hemp in an old apple orchard, it would pull that arsenic out of the soil into the, into the part of the plant that you don't need. And then you can toss it and it actually cleans the soil up. Um, so apple farms could be rejuvenated for, for other purposes. Yeah, that's true. That's um, I'm in, uh, currently writing a research proposal to grow hemp next year in my area, and um, that's what our research proposal is on, removing heavy metals and, and harmful chemicals from the soil. That's, so that's cool. see what the impact that the hemp has from removing mercury and arsenic and all kinds of poisons that are stored in the soil that eventually get into the air, where the hemp can absorb some of that and uh, make a healthier planet which we, we, we should all want. So can you explain a little bit about that project that you're proposing or, or is it too early? Cause I'd love to hear anything you want to tell us about it. I'm, I'm very, I want to tell more um, well, people about what's happening in New York. So. Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's right now it's a research proposal. So we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll measure the, the levels in the soil and then we'll plant the crop. And then after the end of the year, we'll measure the levels in the soil again and see if, you know, how much got absorbed, you know, if it, it, you know, if there's less carbon in the soil, which is a big deal right now, if we can reduce carbon emissions. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the, one of the big problems with the ice caps melting is that there's a lot of carbon stored in the ice and stored in the ground underneath the ice. So the um, being able to plant hemp in these type of areas could absorb a lot of that stuff and really slow down greenhouse gases. So, you know, the, the, a lot of the discussion about um, global warming is, is it man-made caused or is it not man-caused? Well, a lot of it is natural, but we can still do something to prevent it or, or help the planet still. And hemp is definitely one of them. Uh, we're going to talk, I got a few facts here in front of me that I'm going to list off here real quick. Uh, it used to be illegal not to grow hemp in this country. And I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but it's time to yes, bring this back up true. again. There was once a time in American history when farmers could actually be fined or jailed for not growing hemp because it was such a valuable crop in Virginia. The Assembly of Jamestown Colony passed legislation in 1619, making it mandatory for every farmer to grow Indian hemp seed. 
Hello, this is the United States <laughs> of America crazy, right? we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as uh, much as we're the country of uh, eagles and apple pie, we were founded on hemp. You know, hemp is a huge part of our history. Uh, Declaration of Independence, early drafts were written on it. Abraham Lincoln smoked hemp. Um, hemp is just part of who we are. And how it got suppressed is uh, because of greed and some racism and um, personal interest over the interest of the whole. And um it's time to move past that and move forward and, and get rid of the ignorance and, and, and deal with the facts and the facts are it's a good plan. George Washington grew the stuff as well. Yes. And hemp was hail. Oh, yeah. George Washington and then Thomas Jefferson yeah, too. Yeah. That's right. My dad learned both that he went to the Thomas Jefferson uh, site recently and uh, yeah, he learned that, that it was definitely grown there. So hemp was hailed as a billion dollar crop before the government banned it. Article written in 1938, Popular Mechanics declared hemp a new cash crop. It was touted as a standard fiber of the world that was easy to grow and poised to replace imported materials and manufactured products. Aren't they seeing that now again? Yeah, yeah. And what was what a billion dollars in the 30s had to be worth? You know, what a trillion dollars now. You know, more than that. I don't know what the what the translation to what a billion dollars was worth in the 30s, but it's got to be an astronomical number now. Ivanka Trump. And, and how about the jobs that would have created? Sure. Yeah, they say right now that if, if we were to nationalize and uh, make cannabis legal coast to coast, that it would be a million jobs, you know. And um, it's frustrating that, that we can't get this done because the, the economy is starting to move. And then to throw another million jobs on top of that, things could really – this could be a golden age for America. Um if the politicians would just get out of the way and, and, you know, get back to freedom and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Instead of the pursuit of money and greed of 17 pharmaceutical companies. Amen. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So as of now, there's 21 uh, states that can legally grow hemp. So we're slowly getting there. Yeah. It might be more than that to grow hemp. Now it's, I think it might be up to 30 something. Ooh. I'd like to see that stat. Okay. Yeah, we'll look that one up. So High Road TV, tell me uh, where, where it's taken you in your travel so far. So if people haven't you know, watched episodes, what are some of your past episodes so, so they can learn about you? Um, we're going to the Cannabis Cup in California, which was an incredible experience. It was always a dream for me um, to go to the Cannabis Cup. And uh, growing up, reading High Times Magazine, that was the the pinnacle of cannabis. You know, that was the only source of information on cannabis. And you'd see pictures of buds and plants and be like, "Ooh, wow, that's amazing!" And um, but then you had to go to Amsterdam because that was the only place where the Cannabis Cup was. But now they have them all over the place. And uh, we went to the the first U.S. Cannabis Cup in uh, in San Bernardino, and um, it was an amazing experience. It's just it's a we Disney World, really. You know, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's amazing. Um, that was that was a really great one. Um, Netherland, Colorado, was a really great experience. They uh, there's a small town, mountain town, in uh, Colorado called Netherland. Um, that the first cannabis club in America opened. Um, they actually got a license from the town and uh, opened the first cannabis club. And now there were some other cannabis clubs that existed, but they were kind of bootleg. Um, they weren't properly licensed and all that stuff, but this one was properly licensed. And um, 
really great experience up there. Um, if you've never been to Colorado and uh, followed the cannabis scene around at all, it's uh, it's really wonderful and uh, just a whole different vibe out there compared to New York. And uh, a lot of love, a lot of great cannabis, and um, that's a that was a really good one. Um, uh, went to Michigan for the uh, Ann Arbor Hash Bash. Um, if uh, I don't know if anybody if you're familiar with hash that one, bash? That's so no, I, I want to learn more about this yeah. though. Hash bash, come yeah, on. It's, the, it's the the longest running cannabis festival in uh, in America. Um, started a guy got arrested in 1971, I believe, for for selling two joints to an undercover officer, and he was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Um, so John Lennon wrote a song about it and got a lot of publicity and they had a freedom rally to get this guy out of prison. And, um, and they've been doing it ever since. So, so it's, it's, it's a hell of a party. It's the only, the only one that allows public consumption. So that's uh, nice for 24 hours. You're, you're legal to, to smoke anywhere, which is nice. In that town or village, it's a special ordinance or is it a whole yeah, state? And in that, in Arbor, um, it's uh, the, there's a street right next to the University of Michigan um, campus and uh, on the campus as well. We're so going to pass. Uh, we're going to the plenty, bash. plenty, plenty of police officers there, and they they were uh, very friendly. It's a good time, definitely. And Michigan's a sleeper with cannabis too. They get they got some good cannabis out there. Michigan. I've been to Seattle a few times, yeah, yeah. and there's this uh, hemp fest in August. Have you heard of that? Yes. They keep yeah, saying, no, that's one of the biggest ones in the country for sure. They keep telling. Well, I was just there in 2018, in this this August, and they kept saying it was the last one. What what's the credibility on that? You know, some of these festivals have gotten so big that it like almost overwhelms the cities and the towns. And um, like I know Colorado used to do the 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 420 festival right there in downtown and then they stopped doing it because it became too much for them or whatever um you know i think it just comes down to a lot of politicians don't like it's not even the plant that they dislike it's the people who consume the plant so when the you know the hippies show up and uh and a variety of people that they don't necessarily like then they're like, oh, where did these people come from? And it gets to be a little bit much. And, and I know that Hemp Fest in Seattle is huge. I mean, they have 100,000 people. You would think that local businesses would love the fact that 100,000 people are coming into their town to uh, spend money. But um, you know, our, our money is just as green as anybody else's. And uh, but it's the stigma we talked about stigma before, you know, that they're, they're they're willing to turn people away now and shut down festivals like this just because they don't like the people who consume cannabis is really what it comes down to. But yet, if you go to a fish show and talk to a supervisor in the concession stands at, let's say, Denver, Colorado, at a Dick Stadium out there, uh, which I actually did when I was there for Labor Day, and I went up and my friend and I said to the concession stand supervisor, do you guys like it when fish is in town, which traditionally is a heavy cannabis use audience hippies hippies and sure. the concession stand staff in unison like 30 of them said it's our favorite weekend of the year because there's no fights there's nobody yeah. pushing there's nobody sh like so the stigma is really a bunch of nonsense it's misinformation bullshit it's just uh you know the, i 
you know, you see the long haired kid and uh, maybe the mom and dad are afraid that their, their kid might turn into that, you know, or, but they shouldn't be afraid of that. They should, they should embrace it. You know, that your, your kid is a smart, intelligent, pursuing happiness and pursuing and just the, the fact that you consume cannabis doesn't, doesn't change who you are. You know, you got a lot bigger problems than trying to fight against that. Yeah. And, you know, how many people are excessive cannabis users that you have to worry about them going to AA meetings or they have to do all this other nonsense about drug related issues like opioids, like nicotine, like other things that you can consume legally that don't have these stereotypes yet. Cannabis doesn't have a lot of negative effects, but yet it's the one with the worst connotations out there. It drives me nuts. It's true. It's, it's, it's bizarre. And, um, you know, we've seen so many there's especially recently that are successful and are known cannabis consumers, uh, you know, Olympic athletes that are winning gold medals. And, um, it, it just, it's time to put the stigma aside and just say that, you know, it, it's not, I'm not going to judge you because, because you use a plant. You know, and uh, like you said, people can drink a bottle of Jack Daniels and smoke two packs of cigarettes and nobody blinks an eye. But uh, if I got some weed in my pocket that smells a little bit too strong, people be like, ooh, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> they're all offended. But uh, come on, it's, it's time for everybody to get over it. It's getting better. So you travel across the country uh, about the cannabis plant for work. So a couple questions I want to ask you to get your perspective on things. Uh, first of all, what is the thing you've learned uh, that you were surprised to learn through all your travels with High Road? Um, the most surprising thing is the community and how how kind they are to each other. It's like everybody really, really helps each other. And if you're having a problem with your soil, people are more than happy to, to, to tell you how you can fix it. And and uh, if your lighting setup is a little bit wrong, that people are, I think most of the people that have really been in the industry for the longest time want the industry as a whole to succeed. So they're very helpful to each other. Whereas you wouldn't see Walmart helping Kmart. You know what I mean? You you wouldn't see any other business helping some other business succeed. But in the cannabis industry, you see it every day. So that's been the most surprising thing. Is there anything you learned that uh, you really were hoping not to see either in the industry or the periphery other than, you know, the politicians and the, and the stuff we've been talking about, but there's something else that was like, you wish, you know, you cared not to see or wish it would change. Um, just the, the, the people's ability to hold on to ignorance. Like I watch a lot of, uh, um, uh, proceedings in state houses and where people testify and and the the politicians hear the testimony and then have to to come to conclusions from that and then just like they're presented with fact after fact after fact and they just choose to ignore it like um the big thing now is uh drug driving what are we going to do about people who might be high on marijuana and, and driving their vehicles well the statistics from legal states are coming back and there's far less car crashes. There's less fatal car crashes. Um, you know, people are generally safer. So you present them with the information, you know, and they still choose to ignore it. So it's like, or they skew becomes, the data or they skew the data and say, Oh wait, or, Denver, or right, the, yeah, the, the accident skew, rates are up in Denver, data. but they don't correlate it to the increase of population and get a direct correlation and to realize, Oh, the accidents are, a direct correlation right. with the population, not cannabis. 
Right. Yeah, the big one that they skew and it's out of California is that of the fatal accidents, 15% more are testing positive for having cannabis in their system. So if I smoked a joint 30 days ago and got into a car accident, then I'm going to have cannabis in my system. But that doesn't have anything to do with whether why you got into an accident or not. You know what I mean? The fact that you have cannabis in your system doesn't have anything to do with that accident. Nope. And it's good for your body, too, by the way. You even smoked it that day. Right. Yeah. Sure. And I think everybody knows that people who are consuming cannabis, if they get behind the wheel at some point, they're much more likely to be doing the speed limit with both hands on the steering wheel and their seatbelt on driving safely in comparison to the drunk who's got his foot to the pedal and uh, driving recklessly. So 2012 actually they're doing study. studies now that that are that are starting to believe that people might actually be better drivers when they consume cannabis. Now that's not a fight that I'm going to fight, and um, you know I don't I don't know whether that's true or not. But there is some research that says that people are actually safer. So we'll see. Uh, you know, a lot of research coming in, and um, we're all figuring it out together right now. And I'll play counterpoint to that because. What if a person hasn't dosed themselves with the right amount of THC or CBD and, you know, they have too much CBD and it makes their personality a little more aggressive. So maybe they still have road rage because of improper CBD usage. I mean, that can happen. Like, you know, everything's not perfect. It's just like food, anything else, you take it the wrong way. So if you have high THC, but your body's not meant to have high THC, you know, maybe you're not as safe on the road as someone who it balances them, like someone like me, who's been high THC his whole life and drives all the time. No doubt about that. Proper dosage is huge. And the difference between a novice and a person who is a daily consumer is, you know, is worlds apart. I I consume cannabis, but, you know, I don't, it's not, it doesn't affect me the way that it would somebody who's consuming it for the first time. You know, those, (laughs) those people are, uh, take a couple hits and they're, you know, they're, they're pretty elevated, whereas, you know, that doesn't happen to me, you know, so it's, it's, it's a very different experience depending on who you are and how long you've been using it. But you got, you said, mentioned something about dosing before. Um, that's a huge part of it. You know, a lot of times you see people, um, have a couple of drinks that maybe they used to smoke in, in college. They want to jump back in and uh, smoke like they used to smoke. And that's a mistake. You're better off starting slow, take a couple hits, see how it affects you. You feel good, come back to it. But, but uh, don't sit there and smoke a whole blunt to the head if you haven't smoked in three years, because it's going to hurt you. During my travels, talking about the podcast and cannabis in general, it's a common theme that people will say, yeah, you know, I, I like to smoke, but I, it makes me feel too anxious or, or too high. And what I, and the, I immediately go to those people like, yeah, d- that's because when we were in college, all we had was whatever buzz that we were given. It could be a sativa. It could have been a hybrid, could have been indica, could have been high THC. More than likely it was higher THC back then because nobody wanted low THC. Um, but now our bodies are different. So right. maybe lower THC would be better than them with a little CBD uh, because they are, it would offset or balance them much better. And, and I think that's part of what you're delivering through your Hemp for Heroes campaign as well. Uh, I know we haven't even touched on this yet, but I, but I want to talk about the Hemp for Heroes. I want to leave a lot of time for you to tell us about it, how it started. And, and I think you're a co-founder. Sure. Is, that, is that correct? 
Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, I told you about the, my t- couple friends who had committed suicide afterwards and I started to, to try and learn about cannabis and, um, and, um, I started meeting more people who were suffering from anxiety and, uh, treating it with CBD and people who were experiencing pain and treating it with CBD. And I don't know if you know, but the combination of, you know, benzos and Xanax and painkillers is, is, you know, a dangerous cocktail. And uh, the VA prescribes pills like candy to these guys. And uh, lots of people are just over-medicated. And um, it seemed like CBD is, is something that a lot of people are having success with. And um, that's how I got involved with Hemp for Heroes. So we're going to grow CBD hemp and, and donate it to veterans and first responders. And that's going to be here in New York yep. State, is that correct? Yeah, correct. In New York State. And uh, to any veterans that we can ship to their state. You know. Unbelievable. So um, t- tell us a little bit about how people can find you, what the website is. Give me as much information as you can to, to pass this on. Um, you can find me on High Road TV and on Facebook. Um, you can private message me there. You can on Instagram, High Road underscore TV or uh, YouTube. And you can message me at any of those places. Now, Hemp for Heroes, do you have a website for that? Well, we're we're still doing our research proposal, and we're hoping to plant in the spring. So that it's uh, you know we're we're in the final phases right now. So hopefully, uh, within the next month or so, we'll have a website up. And and uh, but there's like so much to do. I'm in negotiations with seeds, and you know you name it. So it's like my fate, my plate is pretty full with the with with making the operation run and getting find, picking a cultivar and uh, getting everything in place more than trying to promote it because giving away the CBD is the easy part. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, there's, there's plenty of people who are in need and, um, and I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible and, uh, and not get swamped in, in all this crazy stuff and, and, and just stay on mission. And what the mission is to, to get a good crop, to get, and get some good medicine and, and help some good people. And, um, the good thing, we don't really not thinking about profitability and business and all that type of stuff. We're thinking about helping people, which makes it a lot easier, you know? When you take all that corporate stuff out of out of it and get back to the the human side of the experience, it's it's a lot more rewarding. And that's why that's why I wanted to do this. Can you share with us a, a successful story without giving out any names that really inspired you, really brought you to uh, find amazement in all this when you were helping someone? Um, you know, the, my, the most recent story I did, I just did a story out in Fulton, New York. Um, uh, former Apache crew chief, uh, Sarah Stunoff. I don't know if you know her. Um, she was a uh, Apache crew chief that had a traumatic brain injury that caused her to have the seizures and she had PTSD. And, uh, you know, I was talking about the VA, VA cocktail before she would a fishing tackle box full of medications. And, uh, you know, she'd just be over medicated and, uh, dealing with struggles. And she attempted suicide twice unsuccessfully, thank God, and, um, decided that there's got to be a better way. And, um, her cousin, Mark D. Pasquale, um, recommended that she try and pursue cannabis, maybe. And she gave it a shot and it changed her life. 
Um, and now she's opening a veterans retreat and the first New York state hydroponic or hydroponic hemp farm. So it's an operational hemp farm on like 40 acres with three greenhouses. And then they're building seven to 10 tiny homes in the back of the farm as a veteran retreat where the veterans can come spend time, work on the farm, forget about the problems of their life for a little while, relax and try and transition to plant-based medicines over, you know, a lot of these medicines that are giving them so many problems. That's probably one of the more inspirational stories that I've dealt with um, since pursuing this. That's that's wonderful. Fulton, New York is right down the road there's, from there's, us. You know, yeah. yeah, Fulton, New York is right down the road. And, uh, you know, they're, they're seeing a lot of support. And it's just, you know, to know some of these people when they came up with the ideas and to see them executed. Military people are doers, you know. It's like, we'll, we'll plan, but let's get to the doing part, you know. But, and uh, Sarah's a, a doer. And um, she's doing it. And it's it's exciting to see. And I can't wait to see where she is a couple of years from now. And I love that she comes out of Fulton because Fulton is a, a depressed town just south of Oswego, New York, between uh, Oswego and Syracuse, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yep. Oswego, it's like 10 miles outside of Oswego, probably 20 miles outside of Syracuse. <laughs> exactly. Uh, depressed. It used to be yep. a big Nestle, Miller, beer town, I believe, were the two big factories there. And if I'm not mistaken, one of them left recently. Um, so yeah, this is great that something yeah. like this is going up there. And I love the format. I think uh, you you guys is the Hemp, Hemp for Heroes and the VCCF and Sari, you said her name was? Is that right? Yep. So yep. B- between the three of those Sarah. organizations, I think that those are perfect models for veterans to come out and use these farms as almost like uh, transition zones. Sure. Right? Yeah. And, you know, like you said, just being out there in the field and seeing that the, the crop is just healing in itself. And uh, you get around your brothers and sisters and your friends and family and you're out there picking the crop. And it's just it's uplifting. You know, I don't know how you felt after. But for two or three days, I was walking on sunshine, just feeling like, wow, that was a great experience, you know. And if we can do that for more veterans, then then that's a good thing, you know. Yeah, I got out to the farm a couple more times in a couple weeks. It was beautiful out there. And the smell, you're right, the smell just it yeah. comes, permeates you. It's totally different, too. Like, uh, it's it's got that sweet smell, but it's not, you know, like sour diesel or something um, like that really whacks you in the head. It's like uh, very, very nice, you know. I, 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 I'm growing to like the smell of hemp more and more over the years. Mm-hmm. And, and the songbirds were just so loud out there that day. Remember how, how crisp and clear everything was out there? Oh yeah, it was a beautiful, beautiful day. Um, you know, I think we must have absorbed some cannabinoids as well because my my mood elevation that day was phenomenal. It was, like, I think the music like helped. I, said, I the- was walking, walking on sun. Yeah, sure, and just being around good people that mm-hmm. that that helps without a doubt. Now, do you find that other farms when you go around the country that same sense of euphoric sense walking around the fields? Um, yeah, I definitely do. I, uh, I'm always in amazement, like just, wow. You know, I, I, I love the plant anyway. So just being around it makes me feel good. So I'm an admitted cannabis user from the age of 17. Uh, we, I like to ask my guests, you know, when they started to partake 
Uh, and then I want to hear a little bit more about your military career and why you went into the military. So first of all, when did you begin your cannabis uses, which is after the military before? Before probably, you know, too young. I was, uh, I grew up in a real blue collar neighborhood and, uh, you know, tough sons of carpenters and plumbers and garbage men and regular working people. And, um, in the seventies, we were used to be able to just run around like crazy and, uh, um, we're somewhat unsupervised compared to the children of today. And, uh, you know, it's out in the woods and, uh, you know, somebody basically said, smoke this or I'm going to, you know, throw your bike in a tree or something. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, um, you know what? It was a pretty good experience. And uh, I wouldn't promote uh, children consuming cannabis. And, you know, that's that's for the families or for the whatever to decide. But that was my experience, you know, and I don't I don't really say it to brag about it, but uh, it just it's it, it, is what it is. It's you know, truth. I think one of the one of the, the unfortunate things looking back on that time was that, you know, m my parents were very anti-drugs in, in any fashion. So, you know, cannabis was a terrible thing. And um, and then when I consumed the cannabis, I was like, oh, this isn't a terrible thing. This is actually pretty cool. And it made me think that maybe they're lying about all this other stuff, you know. And um, then I was like, is this what they're telling me trustworthy anymore? So it's like it really made my approach dealing with my kids be different because I didn't want to lie to them about, you know, that cannabis is different than it's not drugs it's a plant you know it's not cocaine or heroin or bath salts or something it's it's good for you so yeah being honest i think is oh truth the, first of all right? the truth is wins out and i hope the science of this plant wins out and all these people like i walked through the philadelphia marathon expo two weeks ago and i by accident i happened to walk through and i had my hemphletic podcast sweatshirt on i lashed it over the top of my backpack and i just wanted to walk through to see people's reactions to the the logo of my podcast to see if i'd get the looks of astonishment if i'd get people inquiring or if people would even engage with me i got all three and it was really cool because right. i actually got more engaging than i did People give me dirty looks for having a marijuana leaf uh, prevalent on my back walking through the expo. And let me paint this picture for everybody. This is about three or 4,000 people, very in shape people and their families, walking around with about 60 vendors where they're selling all sorts of athletic gear and all that. So I was walking through that environment um, and I got the, uh, the, I'm going to put a shout out to the Atlantic City Marathon. The girls that run that marathon, the marketing girls, they were very engaged, loved talking about the subject. And I told them maybe at some point we can have a chat with them uh, when it gets closer to a marathon. But they were very engaging and, and intrigued by the, by the subject matter and my history. Um, so I'm finding it going across the country now. It's, it's being welcomed more. What about you? Definitely, without a doubt, and then and and experiences like that are only help to break down the stereotype of the lazy stoner and uh, the guy who's sitting on the couch watching Cheech and Chong movies doing bong hits. Because my experience is the exact opposite: it's people like you who are running marathons and hiking and you know doing all kinds of adventure sports and you know people who are filled with life and you know vibrant and exciting people. And um, you know we've been portrayed as something else, and it's just not 
not reality. You know, sure, there's a 1% that's that, but that doesn't represent the whole. You know, there's no question that that we have more to offer than just Cheech and Chong, which, which I love Cheech and Chong movies, but it's just not representative of who we are. You've mentioned it three times now. I need to go watch, go home, watch Up in Smoke now. It's been so long since I watched yeah, that movie. Yeah, but, I watched it with my son, you know, I think, when he was 15 like, or 16. Dude, he had a weird look. My car is like not who we, who we are. You know, you're running marathons and people are looking at like the, like the dude where my car is, is the representation of who you are. It's it was just a ridiculous. horrible movie. That movie rocked. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Wait a minute. Is there yeah. anything better than it's a vehicle like, smoking of marijuana going down and getting all the cops high behind it? Come on, there's nothing bad about that. Well, yeah, no, Up, up, up in Smoke is classic. I mean, that's just <laughs> a cinematic genius right there. <laughs> I love it. Hey, so um, one of the things you mentioned or, or that we talked about a little bit is that you went into the military. So was that right after high school that you went into the military? And why an Army Scout? I'm very intrigued by that. Um, you know, I had taken my ASVAB, which is a test to see what you could qualify. And then I did well and I could have done anything in the service. Uh, and my parents wanted me to go military intelligence and other people wanted me to go into medical fields and whatnot. And the army showed me a real cool kick-ass video of army scouts going to the woods, doing all kinds of cool stuff. And I was just like, man, that's for me. And, uh, and, uh, and it was a great experience. I, I I wanted to be down there. I wanted to be uh, boots on the ground. I wanted to be in the mix. And uh, and I was drawn to it. There's no doubt about it. What kind of things did you do as a scout? Um, everything. Uh, land navigation is huge. Obviously, you need to know where you are um, if you're going to tell other, uh, other people where the enemy is. Uh, basically, a scout goes out in front of everybody and you try and find the enemy without engaging them. So I'll be hiding in the bush saying they're over there and somebody else will come through with a Apache helicopter or something like that and take care of business. So you didn't have much that you did on the German border, right? I mean, you said on the German border from 1995. So was that just like, was that the wall coming down then? I mean, was there any active engagement yeah, the, at that the, point? The, well, it was like a soft wall at that point, and then it opened up at the end of 90. Um, the the border actually came down, and I believe in November of 90. I can't remember the exact date. Um, so there was a little bit where it was still a border, and, um, and then it opened up. And uh, my, unfortunately, the Gulf War broke up, broke out right at the same time. So our mission just shifted from Border Patrol to the Gulf. The Berlin Wall formally came down November 9th, 1989. So you were most right on. So then you went to the Gulf. So how right. do you scout in no, the no, desert? That, oh, see, go when, ahead, see, that's different, though. The, when, the, when the Berlin Wall came down, that was just a symbolic thing that people did. That wasn't the government. That was some guy went up to the Berlin Wall with a hammer and started whacking on it. And then before you know it, there was 10 guys whacking on it. And then there was 100 people whacking on it. And then they just whacked the wall down. So that was just like the the impetus to say we've had enough of this wall. And then a year later was when it actually, they opened the border for good. So at that point, when the wall came down that you're talking about, people couldn't cross them. That was like that when the wall came down, the people that were right there, they hugged and they had a great time, but they had to go back home and they weren't allowed to go back and forth. Not until a year later were they allowed to go back and forth. Uh, June 13th, 1990. 
Okay. Yeah. There you go. That's that looks like the date. Crazy. That's an awesome story. I love it. So now, how are you a scout in the desert? Like there's shrubs out there. I've been in the Mojave Desert. There's not much things to hide as a scout. This is why I'm asking you about right. being a scout in the desert. Like where there was a reason why my question yeah. wasn't as crazy as people might think. Okay, um, scouting in the desert um, wasn't the same as scouting in Germany. In Germany, um, I'd get a ride by a helicopter or an armored vehicle. They would drop me off, and then I would go up and do forward recon. Um, in the Gulf, you're more either in a helicopter or in a Bradley, and they would set up forward opposite upper uh, forward observation points, and you would get out in front and you just look basically. See if anybody's coming and see what you can see. Then they'd tell you to move up to some other point. You'd sneak up there as sneaky as you could in a giant armored vehicle and uh, sit there and see what you could see. Yeah, but a, a lot of stuff during the war was just sit and wait and observe. And then eventually it was a, you know, full on attack for a week or whatever, less than that. And uh, then it was over. So I was a little lucky to be in the first one and not not the one that lasted so long. So many of my friends that stayed in the service after I got out did eight deployments, 10 deployments, you know, six, seven deployments. And uh, it took, took a toll on a lot of guys. I can imagine. Now, my son-in-law just returned from deployment. He was over in Iraq and Kuwait. And he's a JTAC, so he called Yeah, we spoke about that. Yeah. We, we, yeah, so he's back safely now. Yeah. yeah, so he's back. He got back just before Halloween. Uh, no more deployments that we know of. Okay. But he is going in for officer school to be a pilot, so who knows, he might be deployed eventually again. Oh, wow. But as of now, no more deployments. God bless. That's awesome. Yeah, that's what he's looking Good at. for him. So what, what, did you learn a lot about survival skills as a scout? Like, I know all the things he was trained on. He was trained on jumping out of a plane, the laser technology, the Humvees. Like, he got trained on everything because he's a frontline front guy. So I have a feeling you got trained in a lot of really cool stuff to be a scout, right? Like, paratrooper, like, you, you must have been certified a lot of certifications. Yeah, I didn't do go paratrooper, but we did some uh, rappelling out of the helicopters, air assault. Um, I went to escape and evasion school. Uh, which is called Seer School. Uh, basically, you get captured and you have to break out and you know, try and figure your way out of there somehow. Um, and we, you know, as a scout, we got to, we were training every day on either weapons or um, you name it. So it, it was it was a good experience. You know, you definitely, you get left out there by yourself. You know, they would drop me off at an observation point or tell me to go to an observation point and they might not see me for five days. I'll just be sitting there, you know, and sometimes in Germany and, you know, 10 degrees or 10 below. And, uh, you know, you have to know how to survive or you're, you're in trouble because there's nobody coming to help you. Did you have good survival instincts from growing up? Like, you know, I didn't have a lot of camping experience. If I had gone to the military right away, it would have been a really learning experience for me. Did you have any hunting fishing experience before you went to the military? Yeah, I was I was definitely an outdoors person as a whole growing up my whole life. Um, uh, me and my friends woke up in the morning and we jumped on our bikes and we were all over neighborhoods and we were always camping and fishing and playing ball and competing against each other. And you know, the military kind of has that same type of competition atmosphere all the time. So uh, I, I fit right in, definitely. It was a natural transition for me. I was not a square peg in the military hole for sure. Okay. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is this, this is a we get to blow stuff up all the time. This is this is a lot of fun. 
you think? <laughs> I didn't have a lot of experience blowing stuff up besides oh. firecrackers and uh, M80s and stuff, but uh, we did plenty of that stuff. So I was always excited by. Did you call in the strikes, or did oh, you? Yeah. Have, right, that's what you did. You called them in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My 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 hearing is terrible, so if I had to ask you to repeat yourself a few times, it's because I was on the ground calling in those strikes that your 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 son was probably receiving, and uh, those explosions are pretty loud when you're you know fairly close to them that's crazy so did you have radios what kind of radios did you have then do you remember (laughs) yeah like the worst like you know pre-vietnam era radios that you know nobody can understand what anybody's saying half the time and uh you're trying to call on a fire mission that if they get one coordinate wrong and then you know bombs the size of volkswagens are gonna land on your head but that was the reality and somehow everything worked out. I'm still standing. <laughs> well, luckily we have Harris Radios now, which is based here in Rochester, New York, and they're one of the biggest producers of military radios. So luckily now we have very good radio technology out there for our boys. And my son-in-law yeah, no, we, We've it. come a long way since 1990. From 1990 till now, the communications industry has transformed in ways that are you know hard to explain to people that, that didn't experience it. So, I mean, now... Our cell phones are, you know, more powerful than the, the computers that sent uh, astronauts to the moon. You know, so we we we've transformed the communications industry in a big way since 1990. It drives me nuts though, because it feels like in 1990 you shouldn't have had that antiquated radio equipment in 1990. Like I, we had cell phones coming out very shortly after. I would have thought that the military would have been a little bit ahead of the game on that. But I, I mean, I guess it's hard to have that, that much equipment out there for that many people, but yeah, I think if you're a Navy SEAL or if you're special forces or something, you got some real cool stuff, but as a regular soldier, you, you, you know, they got old stuff. And, uh, you know, I had a 45 that was, could have been around in world war two, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you shake it side to side and it'd be jingling, you know? Um, but as long as it kept shooting right, then uh, the military would keep using it. That's right. Yeah. Repurpose. Hey, so one of the things that yeah, you exactly, you do, exactly. I love it. So one of the things you do is you work with veterans group to help transition vets off opioids and pharmaceuticals to plant-based medicine. So last week we had an episode with Katrina Lee, who is going to be going across the country to talk about the bridge and trying to help people with getting off of opioids. So uh, you also are doing that. So please tell me how you do that, how people can reach you or, or what you offer as advice to people. Um, get involved with other veteran groups, create a support system. You know, you can't do it on your own. Nobody's going to kick opioids on their own in the room by themselves. Like in the, the image of, you know, somebody sweating it out and just going cold Turkey, you need, you need a support system and, um, you need a plan. You know, it's not, it's not something that you can do on your own. Um, number one and you gotta you gotta want to help yourself you gotta if people get to the point where it's you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired and uh that that's uh people can help but you gotta want it you know and that's that's the most important thing why are cannabinoids better than opioids well yeah, you know, I think there there are there is a place for opioids. I mean, if you get you get a surgery or you get, you know something major, there there is there there there's a time and place for everything. But um, in the long term, 
they're, you know, very destructive. You know, they're very hard on your body, um, hard on your liver, hard on uh, your organs. Um, and as we know, they're incredibly addictive. Um, and then the final piece of the puzzle to opioids is it affects your heart and your breathing. And that's why so many people die is that you just, you, your brain stops sell, sending the message to, to your lungs and your heart to, to stop pumping and you just, you know, stop. And that doesn't happen with cannabis. There's never been a, a death attributed to cannabis use. So in all this time of people trying to demonize this plant, if there was ever any stories like that, we would know about them. And there aren't. There's just no, no attributed deaths in the history of cannabis use to cannabis. You know, no matter somebody you ate a thousand milligram edible, say, <laughs> you would say, oh, maybe that would kill you. But, but no, it won't. You know, eight hours later or whatever, when you're, when you come down, you're going to be fine. You might be a little freaked out, but you one more than might, you will be a little freaked out, but, <laughs> but, uh, you're, it's not going to kill you. Another reason, like, uh, you know, uh, people know cannabis stays in your system for a long time. If you smoke marijuana, it could be in your system for 30 days after you consume it. That's because your body wants to hold on to it. Amen. So, like, uh, Amen, uh, brother. Other, other drugs like uh, cocaine or heroin and stuff like that, that gets out of your system really quickly um, because your body's rejecting it. Um, cannabis, your your body loves it. You know, we have receptors and an endocannabinoid system, and um, it's absorbing it, and it just makes everything else run smoother, you know? Um, a lot of the success with epilepsy and, and children's seizures and stuff like that um, is because it, it relaxes your nervous system. It's like your your nerve endings are getting these signals saying pain, pain, pain. It's like the cannabis kind of says, no, it's not so bad. Relax. So it's 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 not actually the pain; it's the signal of pain that, to your brain that that makes you perceive it. So it's like one person can break their leg and walk it off and the other person breaks their leg and they're screaming in pain because the 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 way that the signals are sent to your nerves is different you know some people have very high pain thresholds um cannabis can help that it uh it has a you know conversation with your nerves that just relaxes them a little bit and uh for a lot of people that's all it takes so it's a good, it's a good thing. Endocannabinoid system. Is that your, what you're referring to there? The endocannabinoid system? Endocannabinoid system. Yeah, that's another one of those fancy words that I can never get out of my mouth. It, it really sounds like a planet from Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to the endocannabinoid system. It is Darth so refreshing to hear Maul. you. Yeah, on several occasions you've mentioned that you can't say all the words correctly. I feel so much better now that even doing a podcast about this plant and about exercise and I can't say it right. I feel like an idiot sometimes, but I'm not the only one. And you're in the industry of, of television. It feels so much better. You make me feel better. I thank you for that. Yeah, well, it's, it's a lot of them are. I mean, that's a mouthful for your endocannabinoid system. Really, you couldn't come up with something easier. Jeez, I like CBD as an acronym, <laughs> acronym for cannabinoids, or can, I can't even say it. cannabinoid. Can, can, yeah. Cannabinoid. Yeah, cannabinoid. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, we gotta add that to our list. Get some cannabinoid dianol and watch watch that show. Yeah, people like we're listening. These guys to learn about CBD and they can't even say the word. They're singing it. Yes, that's correct. Because we are all just normal people who pull our pants on one way, one leg at a time, and we want to have the cannabis in our system because it's supposed to be there. That's why. That's why Jack just said it's in your system the longest because your body wants it. When you exercise, it increases in your system during exercise because your body needs it and craves it because it knows it's going to use it for your recovery. This is like college level stuff. There needs to be a class at MC. Yeah, why isn't it being taught? Right. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Why isn't that being taught in college? I mean, or at least more discussed more, I think as it history. Might be, you know? Yeah, uh, how about a history sure. of the plant? And then you can just educate everybody on how it was actually used in the world, in, in all civilization. And then fast forward to the U.S. And then all of a sudden, all these people at the college will be like, really? They just took it? All the hundreds and thousands of years has been used for such positive things, but yet 1942 or whatever it was, they took it away from us and for not telling us why. I mean, it's nuts. Yeah, it's nuts on a, on a country that was founded on freedom and liberty um, to restrict the liberty and freedom of so many over a plant that actually benefits people. It's, uh, it's uh, hard to explain. And all the goods that came over from Europe and Africa and every other place that came over to make North America what it is, uh, they were all on hemp ships, by the way, everybody. They were all ships made of hemp, <laughs> every piece of those ships. I, uh, Wow. Yes. Yeah, you know? yeah, I knew the sails, a lot of the sails and the rope for sure. Yeah, and, and the timber too, because the timber um, uh, helped to, to reduce the absorption of moisture from, from the ocean and the salt and everything. So the timbers of like uh, all of Christopher Columbus's ships was all hemp. Um, but a couple other things about hemp I want to wow, uh, put I didn't out know there. That. Yep. Uh, we talked earlier about hemp restoring unhealthy soil. There are several websites you can go to to look that up for yourself. Hemp oil is good for you. For people looking to reduce bad cholesterol levels, neutralize free radicals, and improve nervous system function, the abundance of nutrients found in hemp oil can help. It's packed with antioxidants, vitamins, and minerals, including magnesium, calcium, vitamin E, and carotene. When it comes to oils, hemp oil also has the highest level of polyunsaturated fats, healthy fats at 80%, with flaxseed oil coming in second. How much more do we have to teach people yeah, about man. this, Jack? Uh, you know, a lot. I think that, you know, we still, we're all still learning, no matter who the people who are the experts in the industry um, are learning every day, you know? So if you feel like you got it all figured out, you don't, you know, there's uh there's always something to learn with this plant and the information is just pouring in now. And uh, lucky for us, it's all good. You know, it's like, I'm one of the rare people in the industry that will openly admit that I was skeptical of the whole concept of medical marijuana uh, years ago was just kind of like, you know, what what did we know? It was like glaucoma or like, uh, you know, it helps with your eyes maybe or your appetite if you had cancer. That was the that was the best case scenario of of how cannabis could help you 20 years ago, you know. Um, but now look at all the ways that, that cannabis is helping people medically. I mean, I don't think that we could have ever predicted that you'd be killing cancer and you know, epilepsy and you know, lupus. And, you know, you, there's so many different 
ways that people are suffering that the people are finding benefit with this, you know, ways like fibromyalgia and leaps and bounds, leaps anxiety and, bounds. and, you know, and, uh, you know, I was always a believer in the plant and I always believed that it should, people should have the freedom to choose it. But I, you know, I was like, you know, come on, there's really medical benefit. Give me a break. It's just like stoners want to get stoned, but no, I, you know, I'll freely admit I was wrong. There was, uh, an astronomical amount of medical benefits to this plant. And uh, I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg now. I'm glad to hear you said you're like, because you're a cannabis user, but a skeptic. And I actually always thought until recently, in the last year and a half, when I really diagnosed myself with my doctor, I thought that really uh, cannabis, the way I looked at it for myself, THC, marijuana, me smoking it, was like my one vice where, all right, if something medically is bad because I'm using this, then so be it, because I feel like there was so many positive effects on me, but now I'm realizing right. that the things that I was worried about that it could have been causing me are have no negative effects on me. I, right, I, my it was lungs are the hard, opposite. Yeah, the opposite. So I, now the only thing I was worried about was saying, okay, it's a vice that I'm accepting it because I know how much good it's done in my life. Now I'm realizing full circle, it's everything right. that's worked for me in, in a positive way. And now I get to tell people about it and sit on my soapbox a little bit and, and be like, you were wrong. I want that incredulous look off your face. And not that I want to say that it'd be like that to people, but I'm so sick of that incredulous look out there. And I know you see it. Right. I've seen it. You know sure. the look, right? Of course. Yeah. People think they're better than you because you're a cannabis consumer. And it's just, uh, you know, it shouldn't even be part of the equation. Like, don't judge me over over something like this you know it's, it's just ridiculous to, to think that that somehow this influences the content of my character is absurd i had a lawyer a couple weeks ago out at a bar i introduced myself to everybody i'm, I'm just out hanging out um and he tapped me on the shoulder like i was his little son good luck with your little podcast <laughs> like like, oh, th thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Uh, very kind of you. Yeah, thank you for your blessing. Yeah, yeah. thank yeah, you. Like... Do you want to pat me on the head too? Because I'm going to end up being right. And I hope nobody right. in your family gets cancer. And I hope if anybody does, they find cannabis in time to help reduce the effects of it or, or maybe get help get rid of it. I mean, if you go to the Parkinson's website, it tells you medical marijuana is one of the best things to help with the effects of Parkinson's. I mean, so many places now. Yeah, that's one of the most interesting parts of a lot of this research that's coming in now is the things that you would think uh, maybe, you know, cannabis wouldn't be good for that. It actually is. So it was like, uh, there was always a lot of concerns that cannabis would be bad for your lungs because you smoke strong cannabis, you see people coughing and, and, uh, and having a hard time. Can, you know, we've all seen people just choke their brains out smoking marijuana before. And, um, it's actually good for your lungs. Like, uh, it, it's, it's supposed to be fantastic for your lungs. Um, which I would have never believed is amazing. You know, I want to interject with this because I was on a plane with a woman uh, flying back from Chicago. She works in the medical industry and what she does is she goes into different companies that are in the medical industry and make sure they're doing all their paperwork correct and matching all the protocol for the state and federal standards. Right. So she's that girl who goes in to make sure, sure. your office is doing everything right. So do what she said to me when I told her about my podcast she goes people are so confused about how marijuana affects your lungs compared to anything else right to validate your point misinformation misinformation 
you know, and, and I do understand why people would feel that way. Cause you know, on the surface, it seems like your body's rejecting it, but I think in reality is, is you're actually getting the poisons and stuff out of your lungs and, uh, your, and, and the end result is your lungs are more healthy, which is a, a little strange, but it, you know, if you think about it, it makes sense. Um, the other one is your brain. You know, people think that, uh, it, it would decrease brain function, you know, that's the stereotype of the stupid stoner, you know, yeah. and uh, just, you know, <laughs> and uh, in reality, you have a much more healthy brain. Um, it's fighting plaque, the, the plaque, you're talking about Alzheimer's and stuff like that, um, you, you know, that caused by plaque building up on your brain. Well, cannabis helps not allow that plaque to build up so you actually have a healthier brain if you consume cannabis so it's uh all these misconceptions um and it's incredible to see how many ways this plan is benefiting people I love the reference, I, uh, a study that I looked up in one of my first episodes where it says the hippocalmus, and I was trying to find a study anti-cannabis, you know, similar to what you've done, you know, try to play the part of devil's advocate. And it says, yeah, uh, usage of cannabis shrinks your hippocalmus, but when they used to think that was a bad thing, now it's a good thing because it actually increases your memory. So it basically cleans up the hippocalmus, shrinks it to where it should be, and increases your memory by using cannabis regularly. I love right. this stuff. Um, so have you, did you see there was an announcement yesterday about the farm bill and have you watched this? I'm sure you have with high road TV. Um, did you guys see yesterday? There was a little bit of movement on this nationally. I did not see what's going on with the farm bill because I was driving back from South Carolina yesterday. I, I literally drove yesterday at 3 PM from South Carolina and got back to New York at 3 AM. So, and then I have to be back to work tonight in Manhattan at 2 AM. So, so tell people what you know about stop. the U S farm bill. You, you know what's going on with the farm bill, right? Um, yeah. The 2018 Farm Bill um, has a hemp initiative in it uh, sponsored by Mitch McConnell, who's the Senate Majority Leader and uh, you know, arguably the one of the most powerful people in Washington, for sure. Um, he's out of Kentucky. Kentucky's a big hemp state. So so he wants them to be able to grow more hemp and uh, have interstate commerce and relieve the the uh, let the restrictions on the plant and uh it's been held up but it sounds like it's going to get done you know the democrats are behind it and uh there's enough republicans behind it to make it happen so we'll see what happens you know lots of times these things get hijacked by uh you know something else that's written into the bill whether it's food stamps or like some side issue all of a sudden holds up the whole thing so it's hard to say when it'll go through but it, it Everybody that I talk to says that it's going to happen, and it'll it'll uh, probably open floodgates. Like it'll be a significant significant thing for the hemp industry. It'll be great for CBD, and it'll be great for people in general to get good CBD products into their bodies to help them be more healthy. Uh, ultimately, right? Sure. That's the root. Yeah, of what I mean, we want, there's right? there's so many like. You know, and without a doubt, and you want a more healthy planet. I mean, uh, the plant absorbs more carbon than trees, um, just naturally in the air. Um, you can make paper out of it, and you know, you can have two hemp crops a year, whereas it takes a tree 40 years to grow. So, I mean, there's so many ways that it not only helps people, it's helping the planet, and helping the planet also helps people, you know. So, because 
you know, we want, we want clean air. We want good soil. We want uh, a good planet to live on, you know, without it, we're, we, we have nothing. So, so I would just want to do a little update. So this is what happened yesterday while you were driving yesterday. This is what happened. Uh, a report by us hemp round table. Here's a report from Daniel Karam, Cameron of Frost Brown Todd, the Roundtable's lead DC lobbyist and the former legal counsel to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. We will finish the farm bill before the end of the year, according to Majority uh, Majority Leader McConnell, after meeting with President Trump yesterday to discuss the lame duck session priorities. This comes on the heels of him saying at an event in Kentucky last week that the hemp provisions will be in there. I guarantee you that. Plus, there have been reassuring statements from the chairman of the Senate and House Agriculture Committees. Chairman Pat Roberts of the Senate is reported saying that he is hopeful that a deal will come together by Monday, while Chairman Conaway of the House is quoted as saying, there are a few things, but we're damn close concerning progress on the bill. The commentary from the chairman and the majority leader are encouraging. Everyone appears to want to pass the bill before going home for the holidays and the conclusion of the 115th Congress, and for good reason. Keep in mind that next year, the makeup of the House membership will be different with a Democratic majority and new chairs for the committees. This could complicate the farm bill process if it is not finalized this year. To avoid complexity, the better outcome of the majority of the members in the House and Senate is to get it done by the end of December. There are 12 days left on the legislative calendar, although that can be extended if necessary, which we know they have in the past. Next week could be pivotal, pivotal, given that Chairman Roberts has indicated a deal could be forthcoming on Monday. As always, we will keep you posted with relevant information. Bang your legislators. Everybody who wants this, we need this. This is basically going to prove people to be able to grow industrial hemp uh, more widespread across the country. You'll take the federal um, miss, federal uh, laws out of it, and then things like this can happen again. How about this? All school books were made from hemp or flax paper until the 1880s. It was legal to pay taxes with hemp in America from 1631 until the early 1800s. Did you know that, Jack? Yeah, I did know that, actually. That's amazing. I get a picture of the old tax man and some guy rolling up in his horse and buggy with a big bale hemp behind there and paying his taxes, you know. That's just a, that, that visual image to me is amazing. So, Jack, you've been very patient with us today. You had a long drive yesterday. We want to we wanna wrap this up because you've been very good, and I know you need to relax. So I do want to find out from you what future plans you have with High Road TVR. And what organizations you would make you would recommend people to reach out to uh, if they have opioid issues, uh, anything else that you would like to give us as as you send send sure. off at the end of this podcast, brother. Um, well, I told you about Sarah right in New York, uh, Veterans Ananda um, in Fulton, New York. That's a, a good place to start if you're in New York. Um, she can point you in the right direction in a million different ways to get help. Um, all throughout New England, the New England Veterans Alliance is a great one, uh, NEVA. And uh, they have a really great crew of guys that are all about helping veterans. Every penny that goes to them goes right back to veterans. Nobody takes any salary. Every dollar of anything that they do goes right back to veterans, and they'll teach you how to grow. They'll teach you how to use the plant, depending on if you have anxiety or pain or what you're dealing with. There, you know, there's a million different strains and different ways that the plant can help you. So they can cut the learning curve down significantly. Um, that's two great places to start. Um, in Maryland, there's a group called uh, the 22 Initiative. That uh, there's 22 veterans a day committing suicide right now now um a lot of people don't know about that and um they're doing some great work with that 
Um, in DC, there's a, uh, activist called GI Mary Jane. Um, she's fantastic and can help anybody in that area. Um, or they can reach out to me at Highmore TV, Jackson. Uh, Veterans Cannabis Collective in Rochester. I'm sure that you guys can uh, can help point people in the right direction and um, get the support that they need. Right now, unfortunately, there's not a lot of support to be had at the VA. So um, soldiers do what they've been doing all along, pick each other up by the bootstraps, you know. And um, your battle buddy is probably your best bet most of the time. So uh, soldiers helping soldiers seems to be the best approach to me. I couldn't agree more, and I support all the organizations. The one that you have going on as well, which is, say it again, so make sure everybody knows what you got going on. Hemp for Heroes, and uh, we're planting our first hemp crop in the spring and um, donating the CBD to veterans and first responders who are suffering with PTSD or opioid uh, opioid addiction or any other ailments that CBD could help with. And make sure everybody subscribe to High Road TV. But we really want to try and transition people off of you know pharmaceuticals that they're having trouble with. You know, um, people don't come to us because they're taking medica- medication that's going well. You know, they're coming saying, I feel terrible. This isn't working for me. I'm at my last uh, wit's end. I've tried everything. I don't, you know, I need help, but I don't know what to do. So those are the people we're trying to help. You're the best. Thank you very much for everything you did for us. Hey, no problem. And for what you're going to do in the future for the veterans and this cannabis industry. We want to have you on again in the future. If there's any information out there that you learn in the cannabis industry that you run across, send it to me, please. Or if there's people that you run across through your travels of your documentaries, I would love to have people as guests. So please spread the message and, and we'll continue to keep into contact. You got it. It was fantastic. Good talking to you guys. You know, t- time flew by. It was like when I first said, geez, we want you to talk for two hours. I was like, well, I don't know. I don't get two hours worth. That's that's like a whole week's worth of talking for me. But lots <laughs> of times I'm, uh, I'm a little bit of a loner and uh, nowadays. and uh, Yeah, you're a production and, guy. But you sit in a room and you a, produce. It's been a smooth conversation. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, and I'm, I'm looking at video clips and building stories together, but uh, don't have a ton of interest interaction anymore and um yeah it's the conversation just flew by real real quick i I meant to ask you one question and i apologize for the ask you right now but in general people have a a negative opinion of the networks so you're you're a guy who's a gatekeeper in one of the networks what's your opinion of cbs and how they're handling the cannabis in general i i I know that you guys produce stories on it i've seen on 60 minutes and you guys have been proactive about it so i think this is gonna be a positive response but what's your what's your opinion from being inside the networks um, you know, I think there's a big difference between all the news networks. I think if you're looking at, uh, ABC and CBS and, and uh, you know, networks, I think we're, it's a little bit different than people lump all media together with like MSNBC and CNN and Fox and all that. Um, you know, I'm proud to be at CBS. I think we, we, we hold a high standard and we report the news the way it's supposed to be reported. Um, take an opinion out of it and report the facts and that's what it should be, you know? 
a lot, a lot of this is news has turned into people yelling at each other and and uh, a little bit of a circus. And we, we don't do that at CBS, which you know I'm, I'm I'm proud of that. And I think we try and I'm in the same building that Walter Cronkite was in, and uh, and uh, Edward R. Murrow, and people who invented the medium. And uh, you know I want I want to maintain a high standard, and I think we do that at CBS. I really do. Or I wouldn't be there. Nationally, I actually listen to the CBS national news over the others. So that's why I didn't mind asking you that question because I feel like it's the most respected of all of the, all of the networks. Yeah, I mean, you, sometimes you get stories wrong and it happens, you know. I mean, um, you know, Dan Rather famously lost his job years ago. So uh, it does have, you know, the, the one thing about news is you make one mistake and it could be your last. So you want to get it right. You know, and um, I think we do a good job of not rushing to judgment and just trying to report the facts as they are, as we know them. And, uh, you know, a lot of people want you to have all the answers when the answers aren't available yet. So to try and, you know, I, I don't know if you remember the Boston bombing, people were reporting names of potential bombers before anything came out and it ended up being the wrong names. So it's like uh, you, you don't want to you don't have to be first all the time. Get it right. You know what I mean? And um, and uh, it's been a good experience for me at CBS. You know, I mean, the news can be uh, a little bit crazy if you you watch it. It's uh, there's not a lot of happy stories all the time, but um, they're necessary stories that need to be told lots of times. And I, you know, want to do it right and represent them properly. And um, I hold myself to a high standard. These people's lives that are that are out there on television and you want to make sure you're representing them the proper way. And I try to do the same thing at high road TV is, uh, portray things as they are, you know? And, uh, and so far it's been a great response. I enjoy watching high road TV. I will continue to watch your travels and adventures. And also I want to thank you because it's refreshing to know that someone with your personality and a person like you is in, in that industry as a gatekeeper. And it, it makes me feel better to know we have good people that are helping to put the information out there. Yeah, man, you got, you got, you got one hippie in there for, <laughs> and, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, uh I don't know how much of a gatekeeper I am, but I am a voice of reason at the very least. Hey, you're in the room. I, I, try, I try to be. Yeah, you're in the room, so they got to listen to you. Yeah. yeah. All right, brother. Yeah, occasionally. <laughs> That's all right. Hey, once in a hundred is better than zero. No doubt. No doubt. You, you know, things change a little slower than we wish, but if you can continue to move forward in a positive direction, then that's a good thing relentless, with anything in life. Relentless forward progress, brother. Yeah, I agree. Keep fighting forward. That's it. Jack Chanella, thank you very much. From High Road TV, CBS, and everywhere else around New York and in the hemp industry, we look forward to crossing paths again, brother. Hey, Godspeed. Great talking to you guys. All right. Have a good one. Later. Now, that was a great conversation. There was. I'm surprised you didn't let it go on and on and on. No, we cut it off. I know. you, You cut it off, but you like to carry on... The, the topic like when your son last week said i'm we're, you, you tried to end this like five times now yeah i'm surprised you didn't do that again no i, I have to learn my lessons i'm, I'm not an oh. idiot i have to make sure i learn my lessons as well, well. that's good to know that you are capable of learning lessons <sighs> yes my family would probably disagree but i do admit that i'm wrong often and i like to learn right and that's what we all should be we should all be here to learn amen I knew I was going to learn something from Jack being on today. It's like school. 
All right, a couple things. He mentioned early on how hemp farmers across the country are not looking at just hemp for the CBD. They're looking at it for other uses as well. What do you say, 25,000 uses or something he mentioned? Um, which when I heard that figure, I was like, what? But here's some other facts that Bob pulled up that I want to read out to people just to put in perspective about this hemp plant around this country. Refusing to grow hemp in America during the 17th and 18th centuries was against the law. I already read that earlier, but now I'm going to pick this up and say Benjamin Franklin owned one of the first paper mills in America and it was processed hemp. Also, the War of 1812 was fought over hemp. Napoleon wanted to cut off Moscow's export to England, hemp. Emperor wears no clothes, Jack Herr story. For thousands of years, 90% of all ship sails, ropes were made from hemp. The word canvas comes from Middle English word cannabis, which comes from the Latin word cannabis, Webster's New World Dictionary. 80% of all textiles, fabrics, clothes, linens, drapes, bedsheets, etc. were made from hemp until the 1820s with the introduction of the cotton gin. The first Bibles, maps, charts, Betsy Ross's flag, first drafts of the Declaration of Independence and Constitution were made of hemp. So you got all these benefits and there's just so many positives. And you're telling me that the United States is wagging the finger saying no, no, no. How about this? The same people who give me incredulous looks for wearing my hemp cat podcast sweatshirt anywhere. So let's say I wear it around Washington, D.C. and I get those looks. Ooh. Those are, let's say Philadelphia. I was in Philadelphia. Isn't that where the Declaration of Independence is? And in Philadelphia. Brotherly love, is that the same place? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so I'm walking around getting incredulous looks from people who are taking their kids to look at the Declaration of Independence, which is made of hemp, the same thing they're looking at me a dirty That's look funny. about. That's funny. That's funny. That's, there you go. <laughs> And, and that's the way it is. <laughs> People have no clue. All right. This is another episode. We got to can did we get to cannabis a little bit for you now, Bob? We got away did, from did sports a little bit. Did we, uh, we got I haven't away from seen any. Is it, is it here? Yeah, well, that was earlier. Oh, all right. It was a nice sweet smelling earlier. But uh Bob, did we like getting back to cannabis a little bit? I did, loved was it. Was this refreshing? Yeah. Every week it's 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 ed educational. <sighs> it's been fun. So Everybody, we hope you enjoyed Jack Chanella, High Road TV. Please subscribe. His subscriber base, I do not know why he has such low subscribers on that channel, but please boost him up. Boost me up. Brian Lane, ski videos on YouTube. Go to Jack Chanella. YouTube, High Road TV, H-I-G-H, Road, R-O-A-D, TV. Very Just subscribe. He has great short documentaries on stuff going on in the cannabis industry across this country. And he works for a network, which means he sees a lot of information coming off across his desk, which means when he picks his documentaries for the high road TV, they're based on some good information. So please watch him, listen to the Hempletic podcast. And also we have the website up for those who want to check it out or contact us, hempletics.com. That's hempletics.com. Their episodes are there as well. I prefer you listen to them on iTunes and Podbean and wherever else you listen to them. But you can also listen to them on the website, but you can also contact us. We're looking for future guests in and out of the industry. And just for anybody to reach out to give us information on what you'd like to learn in future episodes. We appreciate all of you listening. Have a wonderful week. And we'll talk to you next Friday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.